you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. So I, I don't know um, if you are like me. I... Uh, must be since we moved here. You know, I grew up in um, I grew up in Colorado and, and wasn't a, wasn't a voter then. And then I was a college student, and we lived in Chicago for a while. And um, that's not exactly a swing state, so it didn't really receive much of this. But since we moved to Wisconsin, um, man, whoever prints like political ads in Wisconsin must make lots of money <laughs> this year, right? I, I wanted to bring you guys my my favorite one, but I forgot it at church. Um, and I, I, because I just thought it was so effective, our mailbox is just full of them and I was trying to keep them for a while to see how many I could get. Uh, but then it occurred to me, I I didn't know exactly what I'd do with them then, but I got this one, um, and I I only picked this, this is, you know, not, not an endorsement or whatever in either direction. Um, but I just thought it was particularly effective. Um, and it's, it was bright red and you had to open it up. And every time, every part of this thing, it just said, you don't know Joe on it. Bright red in white letters, you don't know Joe. And so you'd open it, and like behind that, it would say it again, and behind that, it would say it again, and behind that, and say it again. And it's clear that whoever wrote that ad, you know, like talked to psychologists and knew that if you just communicate the same message again and again and again and again, it's going to get in, even if people uh, disagree. But it, it cracks me up because we must um, have like filled out the wrong form because every day it's just a pile of, of campaign ads. And it, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm hearing this year, not any other years like this, but this year, uh, I've been told, is the most important election of your life. Just like last year, was, or two years ago, was the most important election of your life, and, and four years ago was the most important election of your life. And I'm amazed to know how many of you have, how many most important elections you've voted in in your life, because every year, right, it, it matters so much. Every year, what happens on uh, November or whatever uh, is going to determine the whole future of your life. At least that's what I've learned from reading campaign ads, uh, that, that whatever happens uh, next month is going to either um, save the world or destroy the world, right? There's no in-between. There's no, it'll probably be like more or less okay, no, 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 like, right? It's the end of the world. It matters so much, and as um, we've been uh, talking through what it means to live lives of worship in every part of our life, um, I um, wanted to avoid talking about this because um, it's, it, just, it just lends you to trouble because it's the most important election of your life. But I don't know how we can live lives of worship and not talk about uh, how we, we vote. And so today, I'm going to tell you guys exactly how to vote uh, this, this election. So get, so get ready. Um, uh, it's funny, I just, it's, it's hit me particularly hard this year because this stuff is so important to most of us. And, and, and now, don't hear me wrong, like it does matter, right? It matters. It's, it's important. But it's so important to us that we are willing to sacrifice just about any relationship over it. It matters uh, so much to us that surveys, you know, polarization surveys are showing that, like, the one kind of person uh, most people absolutely don't want their child to marry 
uh, is a member of whatever their opposing political party is. Like the one person that you'd be like, I have no daughter, is if they marry uh, a Republican or a Democrat. We excuse terrible behavior if someone uh, we think of as on our side does it, right? And, and we, um, we condemn the smallest mistakes if someone uh, we think of on the other side does it. And, and not that politics isn't important, not that it doesn't matter, because it does, right? It impacts people's lives. It impacts the world. It, it, it matters, uh, and people's lives are, are worth caring about. Um, but somehow I think we've, we've hit a point where it's just gone so far beyond what's reasonable, where our world is, is going crazy and worrying about what's going to happen. And if you don't do this and if you don't get those people to do that, the world is going to end. And the church, I think sometimes we, we get right, pulled right along in. We get pulled right along in. And so I want to spend some time um, looking at the way the Bible thinks about <clears throat> excuse me, the way the Bible thinks about politics. And I uh, think uh, scripture has a very surprising way of talking about politics. Um, and it all comes down to a, a very different perspective uh, than, than we tend to uh, ask these questions with. And so um, I wanted to start, this is before we get to Mark, with with kind of the typical uh, Bible verses that people quote when it comes to engaging with government or politics or the state. And, and there's three that come up a ton over and over again is, uh, is Romans, uh, part of Romans 13, part of 1 Peter 2, and part of, part of Titus, the book of Titus. And they all sort of follow the same, uh, the same idea. This is what it means to uh, interact with your state. Now remember, in Paul's day, uh, there's only two things you need to remember. One, uh, there wasn't really anything that you could do short of a violent revolution about the state or the government that you were under, right? There was no voting and protesting and whatever like that. That wasn't really a thing for most people. Uh, and so, so that's one thing. And remember on the other side that the state in Paul's day when most of these words were written was incredibly brutal incredibly violent and incredibly restrictive. The state uh, that, that Paul and Peter are talking about um, arrested Christians for being Christians. It, uh, it crucified people. Um, these are emperors like Nero that lit, uh, the story is that he lit his gardens with uh, human beings that he had captured, Christians, and crucified and lit on fire so that he could have garden parties at night. Okay, this is, this is the government in in that day. And so these are kind of the three that, that show up a lot. And, and the idea is kind of this. Uh, as followers of Jesus, you are foreigners in the land that you live in. Regardless of what your political citizenship status is, you're a foreigner. And so live like a foreigner because you belong to the kingdom of God. And so this is Romans 13, right? Uh, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And those in authorities have been placed there by God, which is shocking to us a little bit because these are bad people, right? Paul's not talking about uh, his, his party. <laughs> He's not talking about good people. He's talking about people he thinks are, of are evil. Just pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. Give and respect honor to those in authority. First uh, Peter 2, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether emperor, supreme authority, or governors. Uh, skipping a little bit, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Peter says, you know the emperor that captured your friend? Honor 
the emperor. It's, it's weird. And Titus, uh, Paul writes to Titus, says, you know, remind the believers to submit to government as officers. They should always be obedient, always ready to do what is good. And when we read that today, the question that, that hits me is, is why? Why would they say something like that? I, I know, you know the history of what the world was like in ancient Rome. Why, why would Paul say, don't worry about the terrible things that they're doing? Give them what you owe them and stay out of the way. And when you read it, it, it should bother you a little bit because it's, sort of, it's sort of missing something. And, and the New Testament does this a lot. Um, there are issues, there are problems in the ancient world uh, that uh, Paul's solution seems to be let it go and try and get along within it, not the right answer, which is you should never tolerate something like that. Uh, you know, when we read how uh, the New Testament talks about how a, a slave ought to relate to a master, from, from our eyes, we're like, boy, this is way wrong, Paul. Why didn't you do something about this? But for some reason, he doesn't. Uh, we read, honor the emperor about an emperor that captured and killed uh, the church and Christians. And we say, honor the emperor? Shouldn't we stop such evil from happening? You know, why doesn't Paul advocate for the political change that we think, uh, looking back, that he should have? Why does he, he say, go along and, and get along? Um, why does Paul and the Bible, frankly, seem to leave off the table some of the most important issues of their day? Why would they encourage submission to an evil authority? And, and it bothers me, and I think we all wrestle with it. We, uh, oftentimes in the church, uh, those texts, we, we like to use them when there's somebody else that we think should be behaving differently. But when it comes to us, we like to kind of put them away. Because uh, it, it bothers us. Well, I think um, there's a story in the Gospels in Mark 13 about Jesus that I think captures the why. Captures the reason why Paul would say, uh, pay your respect and taxes to someone who's evil. Uh, would say, you know, go along and get along with the culture that you live in in so many ways that bother us. Um, <clears throat> And it's, uh, it's a story in Mark, and it's about a, it's about a coin. So uh, you see that coin up there? Uh, that's, that's a picture of uh, Caesar. Uh, I believe that's Tiberius. And so if you Google um, Jesus coin, uh, that's one of the many pictures that you get. On the other side uh, is, is, a, is a goddess that sort of represents justice or peace or something. Uh, and so, so that's, that's that there on the left side. Uh, we'll, we need that in a minute because Jesus is going to use that coin uh, to uh, reshape how people in his day are thinking about their political reality and what it means to follow God in relation uh, to that uh, political reality. Um, <clears throat> so it starts off, Mark 13, verse, verse 13. And just so you know, uh, this story in Mark, it takes place in the middle of this kind of like, um, like grilling session, right? So Jesus has done something that's really upset uh, the two uh, dominant, uh, like, religious political parties of his day. And when, I, and when I say politics, right, politics is bigger than who you vote for or, uh, you know, a particular election. Like, there's politics everywhere, right? There's politics in your workplace. There's politics in faith. There's politics in, in your community. 
And so in Jesus' day, right, there was a, a couple of um, <clears throat> groups of people with very different kind of religious politics. Uh, the Pharisees on one side uh, believed in, in one way of being and the Sadducees on the other side. And, and Jesus had just made uh, both of those kind of political parties angry at him. And so they're asking him all these questions. And they're trying to get him to say something uh, that's going to alienate who they think of as his political base, uh, people that are, are really suffering under the Roman Empire, okay? Uh, so here we go. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying uh, something for which he could be arrested. So, so here's the Pharisees, the supporters of Herod. This is a, a political situation, right? These are people that support the, uh, the king that Rome put in place over Israel, okay? This is the establishment, kind of the, the, law, the law and order side maybe in Jesus' day. It says the Pharisees, uh, they come up with this uh, political trap for Jesus. They're going to ask him if it's right to pay taxes or not. Should you pay taxes or not? Now, in Jesus' day, this is a hot-button political issue because to pay taxes means to collaborate with the empire that's conquered your kingdom. It means you're, you're giving to the guys that are taking your bread. Beyond that, uh, the taxes in Jesus' day were incredibly punitive and could send people straight into poverty. Jesus was probably being followed by people whose families had been wrecked by the taxes that were being levied against them. Uh, so this is not like to us, we're like, who cares if, if Jesus pays taxes 2,000 years ago? It doesn't, doesn't really matter, but it, it mattered then um, <clears throat> because these taxes were so extractive, so painful, and led to such poverty. And a lot of Jesus' friends, a lot of people that followed Jesus were people that had suffered in that way. Um, so it's a hot political issue, and, and what Jesus does, and he knows if he answers wrong, if he says don't pay your taxes, he's got the Pharisees and the Herodians there to say, hey, this guy is advocating insurrection against the emperor. We should arrest him and take him to jail. So, so they've got him. He's between a rock and a hard place. Do you alienate your base, your followers, or uh, do you go to jail? And, and they're like, ha-ha, we got you. And so they say, teacher, we know how honest you are. You are impartial, and you don't play favorites. A good way to ask questions somebody you're trying to trap, right? And he says, now tell us. Tell us. We're wondering, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or, or shouldn't we? Now, everyone knows where the Pharisees stand. Everyone knows what they believe. Everyone knows what they think Jesus' followers believe and what they think Jesus believes. Uh, and Jesus does this amazing thing when he gets asked questions in the New Testament where uh, he, the, like the honest way is he sort of, he totally dodges what they're trying to do and he shifts the frame to something bigger. It says, Jesus saw through their hypocrisy, uh, and in, in Greek it's like, it's a mask, it's like a, from, the, from the play. It says, he saw through their mask and he said, why are you trying to trap me? <laughs> Show me a Roman coin, and I'll tell you. And so that's where our coin comes in. Uh, and so uh, they hand him this coin, and Jesus holds it up. Uh, Jesus loves object lessons. He says, hey, question for you. Whose picture and name is on this object? Whose, whose image is, is on it? And they say, of course, Caesar's. Caesar, uh, uh, or Caesar Tiberius, son of the god Augustus, the divine Augustus. That's what it says on the coin. And Jesus says, okay. Well, then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. 
And, and the Bible says his reply completely amazed them. They were, they were taken aback. They didn't see this coming. They were, they were shocked. To us, you, maybe we've heard this passage a, a bunch of times, and it's just like, okay, whatever. Yeah, okay, Jesus, sounds good. Um, but but they, were, they were shocked. You know, when the Pharisees uh, show him the coin, uh, Jesus asks, who, who is it? Who's, who's on it? And of course, of course, it's Caesar's. And so if, so if you're keeping score uh, on the passages that we've read so far, right, this kind of lines up a little bit with what Paul said, right? Give the uh, government officials, give the emperor what they're owed. Uh, give God what he's owed. Um, <clears throat> pay your taxes, give the government respect, whatever, follow the law, do the things you're, you're supposed to do. But remember, of course, Jesus didn't live in a representative democracy. And, and many Christians would say, and faithful Christians would say, you know, while Rome had no constitution protecting the rights of individuals to assemble or vote or even protest, um, in Jesus' day, right, there are only two possible postures in politics, only two political stances. You fight back or you acquiesce, rebellion or submission. You know, today it's, it's more complicated, right? And so we can say, okay, you know, part of giving to Caesar, and I really believe this, uh, is is doing what we think is best for our community and voting and participating in the political process and, and paying our taxes, of course, and doing all of that stuff. Uh, part of giving to Caesar what is Caesar's is, is caring about political issues, maybe even organizing and, and protesting and disagreeing. Um, <clears throat> but I think all of that, and this is where a lot of sermons go, and I've gone here, I think all of that um, question about what do we owe Caesar is, is kind of a distraction from Jesus' point, right? Because this is Jesus' deflection. This is his way of, of hitting the question out of the way so that he can say what really matters, right? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's is kind of a dodge. It's a minimum. Okay, fine. Give Caesar the coin. But where I want you to look is the second line. Because in it, Jesus reframes our relationship with government and politics in light of a much more important relationship to Jesus, in light of something much bigger that Jesus believes is happening. Jesus doesn't mind his followers parting with coins because he cares about a different kind of loyalty. Give to Caesar what is in his image, but give to God what is in his image. Give to God the things made in his image image. And, and the coin is, is meant to represent this. You know, a coin is meant to be, it's, a, it's an icon, an idol, a mini Caesar that you carry with you everywhere you go that shows that when you spend money, when you participate in the economy, you do it under Caesar. Uh, but God, if you remember uh, when we read the Old Testament, God made uh, human beings in his image. And it's that same word. In the, in the Greek uh, Hebrew Bible, it's that same word uh, for image that Paul is talking about here. You, uh, that coin uh, may be stamped in the image of Caesar, and it belongs to Caesar, but Jesus says, you are stamped in the image of God, and so you belong to God. Jesus is saying, give Caesar all the coins he wants. Give the rulers their due, but what really matters, the question that really matters, the question that Jesus wants everybody that's listening, even through today, to answer is, who do you belong to? That coin, it, it belongs to Caesar, but, but who do you belong to? If you skim down in Mark, as Jesus keeps uh, fielding these questions back and forth, uh, you'll find two interesting things that I think relate. One, uh, Jesus will talk about, um, really simply, what it means to give yourself to God when someone asks him what the what the law is what you ought to do it's to love 
God and to love your neighbor. Uh, And then uh, he spends a little bit of time talking about the importance of the resurrection of the dead. And I think this is really important uh, because when Jesus reframes what we are in relation to the coins in our pockets, uh, he believes we're something much bigger and more important than a coin. We're something that will outlast a coin. Uh, And and it relates to, uh, I think the best story about this is in uh, Daniel chapter 2. So there's a story in Daniel chapter 2 that it just sums up for me how God thinks about the politics of the earth. Uh, in Daniel's day, it was kings. In Romans' day, it was Caesars. In our day, it's politicians and nations and countries. Uh, uh, Daniel 2, um, it really, it just sums it up. Um, <clears throat> so you think of a coin, and, and you think of, I want you to think of a statue. Because in, in Daniel 2, the king of a great evil nation, a nation called Babylon, who uh, we talked about a little bit last week, he has this dream. Okay, and, and if you know the story of Daniel, Daniel is a, is a royal court official from Israel who gets captured and taken to Babylon and actually works in the evil king's court. Uh, he, he figures out, he tries to balance the same thing that we wrestle with. What does it mean to give to Caesar? What is Caesar's and give to God? What is God's? Daniel is all about uh, one individual and a few individuals wrestling uh, with that. But there's this one part where the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has this, has this weird dream. He dreams about this giant statue, and the statue is made of all kinds of different materials. It's, it's meant, uh, there's all kinds of symbolism that are, are hard, to, hard for me to understand, but like the king, the statue's head is gold, and its chest is like iron, and then its waist is stone mixed with iron, and then its feet are clay. So it's this weird statue, the, the king's dreaming about this, and the king sees this beautiful statue, and then he sees uh, a, something cut, a huge rock out of a mountain, not with human hands. And the rock lifts up in the air, and it smashes the statue to dust. Okay, this is the king's dream. The king's like, oh, this is weird. And so he, he asks um, for people to interpret it, and Daniel interprets it. And he says, uh, this is what your, what your dream is about, uh, your highness. Uh, this dream uh, depicts the, the rise and of these amazing, beautiful kingdoms, Daniel will say. Uh, the head of gold is you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're the best king. Your administration is the best kingdom that Babylon will know. And each uh, segment of, of the statue represents a different dynasty, a different nation that will come in and, and rule in the area. Um, and so to us today, if you read Daniel 2, um, unless you're like really into the Bible or like the ancient Near East, um, you'll just, it's just a bunch of different names of kingdoms that maybe you heard of, but they kind of mean nothing to us. Uh, I encourage you to read it. You'll be like, okay, who, who cares? You know, Babylon, Assyria, whatever. Um, but to them, this was, these were their superpowers. These were the most important things that happened in their lifetimes and in their past, uh, the closer you were to it. Uh, Daniel's, or the king's dream, is about a statue that represents every pressing political reality that mattered, every most important election of their lives that mattered. But by the end of the dream, this beautiful, unstoppable statue is dust when it's smashed by a rock representing God's kingdom. And today, we only know their names. We only know as much as we do about Babylon and Assyria and all these kings and kingdoms and Nebuchadnezzar because the Bible uh, told this story about Daniel and, and other stories in, in Scripture. The only reason we have this stuff is because of its connection to Daniel, a random court member in, in uh in Babylon. And because the truth is, right, uh, just like for us, if you got that coin on the next slide, um, 
the truth is that emperors uh, and coins and empires, from God's perspective, this is how God sees the world, they turn to dust. The greatest kingdoms on earth are destined for dust. Pressing political questions are forgotten, and the greatest kingdoms on earth vanish. Jesus says uh, we better make sure we belong to something more solid than coins and statues and political parties. We better make sure we belong to something bigger because the reality is the only reason we can, it's so easy for me to find a picture of that coin is because of its connection to Jesus. The emperor uh, could not have imagined that a Galilean carpenter would be the more famous of the two when it comes to that coin. The only reason we know about uh, Nebuchadnezzar's statue is because of Daniel, because Jesus says we uh, better make sure we belong to something bigger because we are actually going to outlast those things. Um, for, for most of human history, uh, maybe, maybe all of it, um, when human beings come together and create uh, nations and tribes and communities and political organizations, um, most human beings are tempted to try and sit in God's chair, to try and say, right, this thing, this party, this nation, this tribe, this uh, group is the most important thing you're going to see. This election is the most important day, and, and they think of themselves as lasting, right? They, they print their face onto metal coins because they are going to last forever, certainly longer than any person, and, and humans' institutions have always argued that the right thing to do is to sacrifice um, people for the cause, towards something important. You know, if you disagree with your friends politically, it's okay to sacrifice those relationships because your politics matter more because this is the most important election of your life. And we still do. We think of these things as the most important things that happen in our day. We think of our nations and the events of our lives as world-shaping and permanent. Coins that will last forever. Names that will never be forgotten. But the Bible and Jesus teach the opposite of this. God fundamentally disagrees on what lasts. And it's not coins and statues. It's people. And in the Bible's way of understanding, and I think this is why Paul is willing to leave politicians and emperors and issues aside when he talks about who Jesus is. Because Paul believes, the Bible teaches, Jesus believes that people in Christ can outlast kingdoms. Kings and nations and politicians and whatever are allowed to reign by God, according to Scripture, but they're fundamentally temporary their lives are shorter than those in Christ. They crumble and are forgotten. The coins in tre Caesar's treasury, they seemed more valuable and more lasting than the people that followed Jesus in his day. But 2,000 years from then, those coins are gone, and the resurrection is still on the way. The images of Caesar and the kingdoms that human beings rule, the institutions and ideologies that we create, will turn to dust. Just like uh, my political ads sitting on my desk. They're going to fill up landfills while the people of God, people made in God's image, will rise again. And if we're honest, this holds true for all of our politics all of our institutions, all of our debates or votes or concerns today, they will not last. 
I challenge you 10 years from now to remember what the key issues were in this election. Because those elected officials, whoever wins in November in this nation, uh, they may be remembered in history books. Uh, But should the world continue uh, before Christ comes back, uh, should the world go on another 2,000 years, no one will be able to tell you who Donald Trump or Joe Biden were. No one will be able to tell you unless they're a historian. And even then, they'll be like, I'm not really sure what the difference was. Um, But God will still be on the throne. 2,000 years from now, people might probably won't even be able to tell you what the United States was, but God will still be on the throne. And this doesn't mean that we should disconnect and disengage and not vote and not care or whatever. It, It matters, right? It matters who you vote for. We should pray about it and think about it and make a good choice the best that we can. We should give to Caesar what is Caesar's. As long as we give to God what is God's. And, and so this might not change who you vote for or what party you support or what issues matter to you, uh, especially if you've already prayerfully thought through these things. But it should change how you vote, how you talk about the issues of our day. Because if you're giving to God what is God's, you'll find that you'll never line up fully with one party or candidate You might even find yourselves at odds with other people on your team. This ought to change how we participate so that when we talk about, promote, campaign, candidate, vote, or participate in politics, the the most important question, the most important question isn't who we voted for or what kind of statement we're making or where we stand on the issues or even, and, and this is hard for you, I think the most important question isn't even what the Bible has to say about a particular Issue. The most important question is in our relationships with people, does our love for them show through? Do our stances, uh, but more than that, the ways we argue for our stances adva- and advance those stances, do they reflect the love of a God who made people in his image to outlast coins and buildings and statues? If we don't do that, We've given to Caesar what is God's. And it doesn't matter if we were right about who to vote for or if our choice was good or even if we won the election because even kingdoms of iron crumble and great nations fade away. Well-thought positions, policies, and ideologies are forgotten. But at the end of the day, the question that God will ask us is who do we belong to? And that person that we, we fought with over politics In Christ, they'll last way longer than our disagreement. Because if we give to God what is God, the legacy of our love will outlast every policy, every bold stand, every nation, and every ideology on earth. Because in Christ, coins turn to dust and people live forever. I want to invite you to join me as we get ready, uh, you know, and, and in the weird world we live in, many of us have already voted or already participated in, in politics or whatever, but as we approach the election, as we watch TV, I want to ask ourselves, right, uh, is this engagement increasing my love for God and my love for others? Is this participation blessing my family and my community? Or do maybe I need to turn the TV off for a couple weeks because it's driving me crazy. Uh, but I want to invite you uh, with me uh, to, uh, to a time of, of confession and prayer to confess our own need and to uh, embrace 
Christ as the true hope and solution and future of our world. So, so would, you, would you pray with me? Lord God, as human beings, the things that are happening tomorrow and all around us, the issues of our day, they feel so important, and they are so important. And because of our perspective, we find ourselves willing to sacrifice human beings. We find ourselves willing to throw people out. We find ourselves willing willing to really harm other people if we think it's going to help um, solve some issue of our day. But Lord, human beings are made in your image. And in relationship with you, they last forever. Lord, we confess the ways that we've taken pressing things in front of us and put them ahead of the much bigger thing that you're doing in our world. We confess that we don't have all the answers, that we don't know what we can do, that we don't have what it takes to follow you faithfully, that no matter how hard we try to make the right choice and do the right thing, we fall short. We confess, Lord, our sin and our failure. But we believe that you sent your son to die and rise again so that we could be made new, so that we would experience resurrection and what it means to be made out of something much stronger than stone or iron. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and we believe that he died and rose on our behalf. We accept his sacrifice on our behalf when we couldn't do it on our own. Lord, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you might make us new. New people with a new perspective on the issues of our day, but on the people that you put in our path. God, we thank you for what you've done in Christ. And we pray that you give us the hope so that we can be people of hope. That you give us the peace so that in times of strife we can be people of peace. That you remind us of the truth so that in times of lies we can be people of truth. We thank you, God, in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.